Hi everyone and welcome to the Value SaaS podcast. I'm your host Arnav Patel and since this is the first show in this feed, I feel like I owe you a bit of context around what this podcast is and why we decided to launch it. This is a show from the Opeka Accelerator where we talk to folks from around the world of B2B SaaS about their experience building capital efficient businesses that deliver real value to customers. We started this podcast because we know that there are founders out there, you might be one of them, who are going about their SaaS journeys and coming across obstacles that might seem insurmountable to them right now. But guess what? In all likelihood, they are not. In fact, there's probably another founder out there who's faced the same problem as you and has also likely overcome it. Uh, so instead of reinventing the wheel, we're just going to bring those founders onto this podcast, talk to them about their journey building a SaaS business, how they overcame those obstacles, so that you can maybe learn a few tactics from them and implement them into your business. Now, in this first episode, we have a very special guest with us, my boss, Ish Jindal, co-founder of DARS, which helps businesses increase marketing ROI and automate customer service conversations using chatbots. For some context, in my day job, when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm actually a marketing lead over at DARS. And funnily enough, right after this interview, Ish and I actually jumped onto a marketing catch-up. So I figured it would be a good idea to get him on as a guinea pig for this first episode. Now, a little bit about DARS. DARS has been a member of the Opeka Accelerator for a couple of years now. Uh, and I know both Ish and Beneath the company's founders swear by the accelerator's efficacy. Now, in that time, since joining the accelerator, and actually before that even, we've, we've found that one of our areas of differentiation has been our marketing, which I know that a lot of B2B SaaS folks struggle with. At TARS, we've been able to generate the vast majority of our business through inbound content-driven marketing. The reason we were able to do that is because Ish himself has a passion for marketing. So I spoke to Ish about how founders who've never done marketing in their life can get the ball rolling so that they aren't beholden to the daily grind of outbound sales. So if you're thinking of setting up your own marketing operation, but you have no idea where to start, this episode is for you. Anyways, that's enough from me. I'm going to drop you into the part of our conversation where Ish is talking about his experience building and marketing a website back in college that was oriented towards high school students sitting for their engineering entrance exams and about how he actually scaled that website to a point where he was actually generating cold, hard revenue for this. And mind you, this was all while he was taking classes. Uh, so this gives you a little bit of context uh, around how Ish got into marketing himself and how you can maybe get into marketing as well. So without further ado, here is Ish. What I wanted to do was create something. I didn't really have an agenda in mind as to what kind of a website I would want to make, or this is my audience. Uh, is this the right audience that, uh, you know, would pay for my product? Nothing of that sort. It was as simple as I wanted to just build a website and see that internet economy, right? This is back in 2009. I'm talking about my first year of college, right? After my first year of college, because I just wanted to do something which is not which was not related to what I was doing in college, right? So the idea was, can I create something which would be uh, living on the internet and I could uh, make some money out of it, right? That's where it all started off. And obviously there was, I knew nothing about how to um, get on the internet. You know, I had literally started using internet at that point of time, seriously, like the serious usage of internet started um, for me in 2008, eight or nine, right? I wasn't using internet a lot before that. 
so this was the first time so learning how how do you start a blog how do you start, make a website how do you um you know market that website what is seo what is um what is you know serp what is how do you get on the first page of google uh what is adsense what is all of that is something um i had to learn from scratch right which was good because um uh, you are in that maker mindset i'm guessing where you create something and then try to market it as well in cool words right now it's an indie hacker uh, these days but nothing of that sort back in the day right um so the idea was very simple when i went in college it was an engineering college and for to get into any engineering college say an iit or an nit you have to go through a bunch of these exams uh, back in the day it was je and ai triple e right and approximately uh, 1.2 million people appear for those exams every year so your target audience becomes not just 1.2 million people but a couple of years before that as well right because you would start preparing while you're in your 10th standard or 11th standard so your audience would be approximately 3 to 4 million people who are actively looking at or try, trying to find this sort of a content right now what i realized was back in the day most of the websites out there was focused on people or uh, students who would get the top ranks like just focusing on the top 50000 or the top 100000 people and i said nobody is focusing on those the rest of the people out of the 1.2 million people everyone is focused on the first 100000 people can i be focused on the 100000 to a 1.2 mil right which is basically 1.1 million people so i was not really focusing on the first 100000 my crowd my audience was if you don't if you're not smart enough to get a good rank <laughs> can i you would search for the content that i was writing right and uh, that's that's where it started off so i would you know the the content used to be around okay if you if you're not getting 100000 uh, like within 100000 rank what do you do right which colleges do you go into because see everyone has to go to a certain college at the end of the day right it's going to be a good college or a bad college that that's not the criteria right but that that's the criteria but then they have to go to a certain college and they would definitely have access to internet and they will go out and try to find something right uh, also because the within within 100k or within 5k 10k kind of a people knew what they wanted right it was the people from 100k to a 1.2 mil who really wanted to understand where they should be going and they had a lot of questions so uh, basically the the content was primarily focused on this audience and um, during the peak periods we used to get about 30000 people uh, visiting uniques visiting the website on a daily basis so that was almost like a million people on a monthly basis obviously it was a seasonal kind of a thing so i wouldn't say 1 million used to be there across the entire year across a year we would do about 5 to 6 mil sort of a traffic uh, right now since this audience was focused on like if if you are focusing on um, you know the western audience the us based audience and you're getting a million traffic back in 2010 you could literally make a lot of money from just from adsense now adsense is definitely not the best way and uh, while when you're running a website there are basically two three different ways of how you can make money right first is ad based revenue second is subscription based revenue like you would see all of these paywalls at this point of time right everyone trying to charge money uh, and not putting in ads the third is you make money from affiliates but with my audience i knew that nobody had money to pay and paywall was not was not a thing like people 
never wanted to pay for a subscription and that to content, right? Nobody was going to pay for that. Um, affiliates, I realized that my audience wouldn't buy stuff as well. So uh, they're not going to, uh, you know, like they have to click on an affiliate link to eventually buy something, right? Now my audience is not going to do that. So the only means I had was to make money from AdSense revenue, right? Google AdSense was the best uh, revenue source that I had at that point of time, right? And obviously there's the, the CPM and all of those numbers used to be really low because I was dealing with the Indian audience, but I think it was it was good enough to make like a 1500 to $2,000 uh, per month back in the day, right? Which was not bad. So... Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that was that was my first sort of thing that I built on the internet. It did really well for a few years. That I then I got bored with it because I I think then all of these people started writing about are you creating something valuable which will last for a long time and all of those things. And I I thought you know let me try to build something else and I stopped doing that uh, even though it was making money and all of those things right. But yeah, it was it was good while it lasted and uh, definitely. Um, Definitely, I feel a lot of things that I do right now, even after 10 years, is connected somehow to what I was doing back in the day, right? Like learning WordPress now. If I was starting a, a company at 25 and I don't know WordPress, I could do without without it. But then I think it really helps while when, when at TARS, I'm speaking with um, you guys, right? The, the marketing team. And I know that I've done all of this, right? It's not like... Uh, I'm totally dependent. I know how it could be done. So it, it I think it just gives you a hands-on approach versus um, not knowing anything about marketing, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about nonchalantly, like it was a side project, which to be fair, it was because you were doing classes at the same time. Uh, but the considerations you were making at the time are the exact same considerations that I make today as a full-time marketer. So I'd be curious to know how you actually picked up the knowledge and the skills to launch something like that. Because I mean, honestly, I struggle with it today. And like I said, I'm a full-time marketer. I uh, did go out and read a lot, uh, like a lot uh, back in the day about marketing as such, like how to do marketing, but you have to know what to search for as well in the first place. Right. Like, for instance, I was learning, trying to learn a lot about SEO because I knew that my audience is going to come through organic search. Right. And if I'm not ranking in the first five results, it's going to be tough. But yes, I did look out for resources to learn how to do marketing, but uh, the basic marketing principles, like the, not the basic marketing principles, but the audience and the understanding of the audience is something you would have to just research. You know, there's, there's no, and there could be different resources to find, um, find the nuances about your audience, uh, which would change, you know, depending on the industry and depending on the audience. Yeah. Got it. So it was less about going out there and finding resources to read up on and more just understanding who your audience was. Uh, now, I'd be curious to know, do you have any tactics on how someone out there who's listening to this might be able to understand their audience better? Uh, how did you go about doing it? I think uh, I was one of my audience. No, not one of my audience. I wasn't I wasn't like a 100K plus, but I, I'd gone through that process, right? Um, so I was one of those. Like, you know, people, this is a usual um, thing which people say that build for you, build for your own problem, right? So I could see that I was doing the same thing. So I was a part of that audience in a way because I'd spent like three years, two, three years before that uh, being being that student, being that audience. So I could connect to the problem very easily. I knew what people would search for. 
I knew how to create that content. Uh, for instance, for a for a few keywords, we were the, literally the first um, you know search result back in the day, and um, these were like you know like you put an exam name and put a cutoff next to it. That was the keyword, right? And we were uh, cut off as in like what's the cutoff marks for to rank for a certain exam, right? Um, and we were literally ranking uh, first for those keywords and we knew that we could just replicate the same thing over and over again, right? But I knew that I think because I had um, I had spent a couple of years being that a part of that audience, right? Which is why I think you were asking me this question yesterday uh, over a call, which was uh, why do a lot of consultants eventually start up their own thing, Right? And I think a part of that is because they have been, they have been that customer on the other side, and now they thought of this problem and now trying to solve the problem for the same uh, customer persona, essentially. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that sounds like a pretty solid marketing strategy, and it resonates with my experience being a marketer at Tars, because reflecting on the content that we've made over the past five years. I think that the content that's always ended up working out best is the sort of content that I would read even if it wasn't my job to do so. Uh, so to give you a couple of examples, I hate going on Quora. I absolutely hate Quora as a platform. I do not like the content on there. So when we tried to use Quora as a platform, it didn't end up working out because obviously I don't know what the average person who's jumping onto Quora likes to read. Uh, on the flip side, I love reading newsletters. I love reading newsletters with funny GIFs even more. Uh, so when we decided to start a newsletter and we decided to put funny GIFs in that newsletter, it ended up working because I am more in tune with what people who enjoy newsletters like to read. Exactly. Because see, I, I tried doing a lot more, right? So while I was doing uh, content that was focused on engineering, right? Engineering exams, I tried to diversify as well. I said, okay, can I focus on people or students who are applying for medicine, uh, right? Or uh, students who are applying for MBA, and I could never make that happen, right? Because I could just not, I didn't have um, the the knowledge already or the, 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 I didn't know what content would appeal to them. That is one, because I, I didn't study for medicine, right? I didn't study for um, MBA, right? I, I started doing all of that, but none of those um, websites succeeded because I had to literally go in and see what do, um, you know, what do you study for an MBA exam? That is one what kind of exams there are, right? So it's just so much research that you you can't do it if you're running the show all by yourself. So I did try doing that, but I I couldn't make the same success happen with the other websites. Yeah, I mean, it's understandably an extremely challenging problem to solve. And if you think about it, it is sort of the fundamental problem of B2B SaaS marketing for a lot of folks because we're often selling a product to an audience that is completely different from us in professional background, life experience, worldview. I mean, think about the people we sell to at TARS. We're selling to real estate agents, mortgage brokers, insurance agents who grew up all the way on the other side of the world and are often a few decades older than us. Um, and then we have to come in every day to work and create content that resonates with them. Bridging the gap between our life experiences and what we think is good content uh, and then what they think is good content in their life experiences 
is sort of the problem that we are all trying to solve. Uh, now, I'd be curious to know, do you have any mental models that you use to understand this problem? Because I feel like before we can even talk about a solution to it, before we can talk about overcoming it, we really need to specify what exactly it is that we are talking about. So there are two parts to it, right? When you're thinking about how do you uh, do marketing or content marketing for an audience, which is which grew up in a different culture, very different background, very different um very different daily routines as well, different kinds of things they're experiencing as well on a daily basis, right? But I think um, how I would put it is, again, what are they searching for? What are they looking for? That is one. And secondly, how do you present it to them so that you can connect with them, right? So the first part of it is the discovery phase. And the second is how credible enough you are so that they actually feel that they should go ahead and sign up on your product or, um, you know, or just leave their email with you or whatever it is, right? Or just reach out to you somehow. So, uh, and most of the people are like, in, at least in the SaaS B2B marketing space, uh, it's the discovery phase, right? It's a, it's a phase where how do I even get visibility in front of my customers, right? Now, I don't think it has to do a lot with um, where your audience is sitting. Honestly, you just have to know your audience. It doesn't matter if if uh, a person in the US is searching for that or if a person in the UK is searching for that or if a person in Turkey is searching for that or if a person in Australia is searching for that, right? If I am, let's say, uh, a, a chatbot for, um, you know, CRO, which is what, what we do, right? Now, when I'm thinking about that, I, I'm just thinking about, who is, who's going to be my customer, right? Now, my customer is going to be a marketing manager or a marketing uh, digital, like digital head or a digital marketer at a, at a B2C company. Like, or it could be a B2B as well, but the product is, our product, for instance, is mostly focused on B2C companies. So let's go there, right? Now, now this could be an insurance company in Australia or an insurance company in the US and the marketing person over there would pretty much be facing similar kinds of challenges when it comes to marketing. Right. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I, that's what I feel in the discovery phase. It doesn't really matter where your audience is sitting. Right. Because all you're trying to do is trying to figure out where do they hang out? Right. Are they, uh, and you know, it's a part of distribution, but um, you know, a part of your traffic could be coming in totally organic or you, they could be hanging out on different forums and you want to be there and promoting your content there. Uh, right. Or they could be on LinkedIn and part of certain groups. They can be on Facebook and a part of certain groups as well. Right. So they could be on multiple channels, but I don't think in the discovery phase um, it matters a lot. What really matters, you know, that, that, um, that cross border thing really reflects when, people are actually on your content, they're consuming your content and they have to be able to relate to what you're saying so that they feel that you're credible enough uh, for them to do business with you, right? And that's where the, that's where I feel um, a lot of us, you know, are at least, you know, if you're, if you're sitting in India, for instance, and you're trying to build content for the for the North American market, you have to write in a certain way. Um, your your look and feel has to be those. the 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 examples you take have to be able to um, ones that can that the, your audience can relate to. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. You when you're making content, you absolutely have to use 
examples, language, um, tone that your audience is used to if you want to make it relatable and if you want to make it something that actually resonates with them. Uh, I mean, often I feel like people take those tiny little details for granted, but in reality, it is a big part of whether your marketing efforts are successful or not. Uh, now, shifting gears a little bit, obviously the specific playbook, marketers love using that word, that a SaaS business uses is going to be unique to their audience. Not everyone is hanging out on the same channels. Not everyone is consuming the same sort of content. Not everyone responds to specific channels like ads in the same way. Uh, so figuring out what specific channels, what specific tactics you're going to use to target your audience is really going to depend on the specific nature of your audience. But one thing that we can discuss over here that I think is universal is the sort of mindset that you have when you are approaching any one of these playbooks. So you pick a playbook that you want to use. You pick an approach to marketing that you think is going to work for your audience. Um, but what is the mindset that you have when you are implementing that? Uh, I think that is a universal. And I think that is where a lot of marketers struggle. Because what I've seen, and this is just my observation, is that a lot of folks will dabble in marketing a little bit and then they get disheartened when they don't see results immediately. They'll start implementing a playbook. Um, I mean, I've been there before. They'll start implementing a strategy and then they don't see results after a couple of weeks. They feel disheartened and they want to abandon it straight away and then maybe revert back to their outbound sales approach. So what tips can you offer to a founder out there who maybe has had their fingers burned a couple of times, uh, who's tried marketing a little bit, it hasn't really worked out for them, um, but they don't quite want to give up on it yet. And they just don't know how to start and how to make it work for them. I think with marketing and product, there's a lot of experiment that goes into play and uh, the results come after a certain amount of time. I, I think I read this somewhere where, which talks about, um, about wrong hires. Okay. So it was basically saying that if you get a um, wrong hire in sales, you go back by three months. If you get a wrong hire in marketing, you go back by six months. If you get a wrong hire in product, you go back by a year, right? Because the outcome in terms of the positive and the negative results come, you see after a long time, right? So, so if someone has messed up or screwed up your marketing, right? You're going to see the effects of those six months later, product almost a year later, right? That's why um, even the results also, the positive results also take time in all of these situations. Like everything we do on the product side, like if I if we do something around how do how do we in, improve our activation workflow in the product, right? It's not going to it's going to take a significant amount of time to see the results and to make that as well. To make that as one, and then to see the results at least at least three to six months again, right? For us to actually see some results out of it, because it would just not work the first time around. And you've seen. Uh, experiments we have done, which have not worked out. We gave it three to six months and it still didn't work out. And we were like, okay, this is not going to work out. Let's get, uh, no, let's not work on this anymore and focus on the other experiment. So we are nearing the end of our session here. Uh, so I think we can wrap up right now, but really quick on the three to six month time frame, I actually love that piece of advice. You gave it to me 
soon after joining TARS. And I find that it really helps because in most marketing experiments, my experience is that you go in with a set of expectations in mind. And almost certainly in the first three weeks, at the very least, none of those expectations are going to be met. You are going to see little to no results while you figure everything out. And if you don't have that three to six time, month time frame in mind, you can feel like Sisyphus. You can feel like you're going to come in every single day, invest time, effort, and money into this experiment, and it's not going to work out for you. Uh, just like it hasn't worked out for you in the past three weeks that you've been trying it out. But having that defined time frame in mind uh, tells you that even if this doesn't work out, there is a definite endpoint to it. It also reassures you that you have a couple of more months to figure it out. Um, nonetheless, I can see why people find it daunting. Because if you have a million other things on your plate, like most founders do, it can seem scary to invest three to six months of your time and effort into an experiment that has no guarantee of succeeding. So maybe to close out our conversation, do you have a simple tactic that founders who want to try marketing but might be a little bit apprehensive can implement right now to maybe exercise their marketing muscles uh, and maybe build up the courage over time to eventually run a full-fledged marketing experiment? Because I found that that works well for me. I mean, we were talking about Quora Answers earlier, but I feel like even though the Quora Answers didn't work out, just the fact that I woke up every day and I wrote a couple of Quora answers helped me sort of build my own marketing muscles and got me into the mindset of consistently marketing every single day. And that's prepared me to implement marketing experiments that have worked for us today. Like, for example, our webinar experiment that's going on. Uh, so any tactics, any small repeatable marketing tasks that founders listening to this can start implementing right now to get into the marketing headspace? It could even be as simple as just making a routine that you're going to go out and uh, build your audience on LinkedIn, like just connect with 10 of your prospective customers on LinkedIn every alternate day. So you're connecting with 30 prospects on LinkedIn or sending a request to 30 prospects on LinkedIn every, um, every week. And in a month you've reached out to now 120 of your prospects. And then you make sure that you're writing one post every alternate day. So in a month, you would have written, say, 12 posts as well. Because if you do a, like a hard, hard reach out and, you know, and hard sell after just reach out, it doesn't really, like, it usually doesn't work out, right? But what if you just start building your audience, your, this audience could be of prospects, could be of partners, could be of possible team members eventually who you would be, you know, you, you would want to get in the team and just doing like a one post, one LinkedIn post every alternate day in a, in a year, you would have written almost a hundred posts and you would have connected to a thousand prospects. Right. And that helps you build that audience. Connecting with people on LinkedIn and then posting. I love it. That is a fantastic tactic that I think anyone out there can implement starting right now. Um, and I think that's also a great place to end this interview. I always find that ending on an actionable insight like that, that's fresh in the minds of our listeners, is always a good place to end it. Um, thank you for joining us, and I will see you on the TARS Marketing Catch-Up immediately after this call. Sure.
Well, folks, that's a wrap for the first episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. And if you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, really, because this podcast should be available everywhere if I've done my job right. Also, be sure to leave a review if you really enjoyed it that much. I know it's hard to assess a podcast after one episode, but if you really did enjoy it that much, be sure to leave us a review. It really helps us get this podcast into the feeds of more people. There should be another podcast episode in the feed right now. We decided to drop two at the same time. Uh, So be sure to check that one out as well if you're interested in learning more right now. Uh, It's a great conversation that we have with uh, Rajan, who's one of the partners over here at Opeka, about what the term value SaaS means. I mean, this is called value SaaS podcast after all. It was a great conversation. We talked about a lot more than just SaaS as most of our conversations go. Every time I speak to Rajan, we always talk about a variety of topics. But I had a lot of fun doing that interview and I highly recommend that you check it out. But that's enough for me today. Have a good one.